a couple of years ago, I met this amazing man called Gary Vee. And he took a risk with me, right? I'm a risk. I'm tried and tested in many ways, but was I going to work coming from a slightly more traditional place for Gary? And it's been an amazing journey. Welcome to the Speak as a Leader podcast, where you learn how to speak fearlessly on stage, on camera, and in person. I'm Nasheen, a leadership communications coach from the Fortune 500 world. And on Speak as a Leader, I talk to leaders from corporate giants like Amazon and Google, to startup founders, visionaries, TEDx speakers, and even leaders who have worked at the Pentagon. You will get to know how these leaders learned the art and science of speaking fearlessly on any stage. Let's get started. Daisy Domingini is a managing director at VaynerMedia, you know, the creative and media agency owned by Gary Vee. She oversees the entire Europe, Middle East and Africa region, and she didn't just get there overnight. She started her career as an account manager, and along the way, she's learned how to really use her voice in every room she's been in. I have to admit, I was the tiniest bit intimidated when talking to Daisy because she has that incredible mix of confidence and experience. I didn't want to make a mistake or say something I shouldn't say. Of course, Daisy put me at ease immediately and we had a super enlightening conversation. I would love for you to take a listen. Hi, Daisy. Thank you so much for joining us on the Speak as a Leader podcast. I am thrilled to have you and I am so excited for our conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's so nice to be here. And thank you for getting in touch. It's amazing the power of things like LinkedIn to connect people all over the world and meet motivational women. So super excited for today. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. And you, you're really working with and for women in the workspace. And that's also something very close to my heart. So I do want to talk about that as well. But first, I want to get started with talking about your incredible journey from an account executive to a managing director at VaynerMedia. So that sounds like an incredible journey. It sounds like a dream resume, really. So could you tell us a little bit about your journey so far and where you are now? Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things for me that is super important to my personal brand is the fact that my entrance into the industry probably wasn't like everyone else at that at that time. So I came into the industry pretty much at the bottom. Like I joined an advertising company who was passionate about retail. They contracted at the at the time. They've become a lot smaller because they kind of the, a lot of the big high street brands were closing down, and it was a perfect opportunity for me to come in and go. I'll do your reception. I'll do this. I'll do everything, and sort of hone my skills and just kind of throw myself in. So I didn't come from a advertising degree, marketing degree. I came from a point of passion around retail and brands, a real curiosity I've always had around brands, why do people talk to people in certain ways, et cetera. And that kind of was the passion that's burnt it within kind of the whole way through my journey. And from kind of working as an AE, got curious, 
wanted to learn more. I kind of never specialized in above the line, below the line. I wanted to know everything. I wanted to understand the whole customer journey. And I think that's the thing that's kind of driven my whole career to where I am now. It's that curiosity, that willingness to learn wherever you are, and that real desire to kind of just do whatever it takes to really connect brands better with their consumers. And I was lucky enough that this time, you know, a couple of years ago, I met this amazing man called Gary V. Gary Vaynerchuk, and he took a risk with me, right? I'm a risk. I'm tried and tested in many ways, but was I going to work coming from a slightly more traditional place for Gary? And it's been an amazing journey. And I think, you know, for me, the best thing about it is I'm learning every day. I'm surrounded by amazing people. And that's super, super important to me. That's really cool. I love that you talked about how you, being from a more traditional marketing background, you were actually a risk. Because Gary flips everything and he's challenged us in so many ways when it comes to marketing and what, you know, marketing is and what brands are. So that's really interesting. I wouldn't have thought of it that way. Did he actually express that to you? Were you actually aware that you might be a risk or was that just something that you thought of yourself? when you learn, when you meet Gary and you, you spend more time with the Vayner media, the first thing he says to you is unlearn everything you've learned. Because we have, we're so trained in thinking about marketing in a certain way that that's almost what's holding us back. So I think he never would use the words risks. I don't think that that is something in his vocabulary, but that was kind of my interpretation of it is going, he's taking a bet on me here, right? He wants me to prove myself that I'm not just rigid and stuck in this marketing way. So I've got to work harder to make sure that all those things I know I'm questioning and I'm going, why are you thinking like that? Why are you stopping yourself from just letting this piece of content go out into the world and let the consumers judge it rather than a room full of advertising execs judging it. And so I think it's those things rather than the word risk, maybe it's more the unlearning and finding your kind of being brave enough to just go for it. Yeah. I really get that. I I, I can really relate to it because I also come from a traditional marketing background. I was at Procter & Gamble, one of the world's most traditional and oldest marketing companies where you do a lot of things by the book. And when you're in the company, you learn how things have always been done. And of course they're innovative, but they're they're innovative within boundaries. And there are always these specific systems and frameworks and it's, you know, it's, it's proven. So why shouldn't we keep doing it that way? And of course, it's also risk averse in a lot of ways. So so I totally get that. I think that's something we find a lot with brands, right? So it's how to get them, especially the bigger brands. There's so many layers, so many different disciplines in there. And there's the tried and trusted, tested ways. We're not telling you to change everything overnight because we know that that's going to be a big sell. But if you can take that 10% or that 20% of what you're doing, test it, find a new way to do it. I'm telling you over time that 10, 20% will become the way you're doing everything today. But it's a it's a gradual mm. migration for many of those bigger companies. So yeah, I'm well aware. Mm. It, it feels very familiar with what you're saying there. Yeah. And was it difficult unlearning everything you knew? Was it as simple as someone saying like, unlearn everything, Daisy? Okay, done. I think that the reality is there's a lot of things that still stand true. It's around, I think, flexing a lot of that to a more or to a new way. So the biggest thing is getting uncomfortable, right? You have to get uncomfortable quick. You have to go, my subjective point of view, like me sitting here as someone in my late thirties going, 
you know, I know what a 16 year old skateboarder wants. I don't let the 16 year old skateboarder decide, right? Let me put it out on TikTok. Let me let that 16 year old tell me what's going on. But my old days, you would have sat there going, well, this is the brand world and this is this, and this is what the brand wants to say to this consumer. It was so much around flipping that model, making sure it's talking to the consumers in their language. It's common sense, a lot of it, but it's letting go of your own subjective personal views to let that audience decide for you and teach you along the way. Mm, yeah, definitely flipping the whole the whole model up on its head and Completely. very, very effective. And it's I would almost venture to say that now we've seen so much of that, a lot of it with Gary at the forefront and with other people joining into that movement of people telling us what what to do and you know especially in terms of creators and in terms of brands everything and letting the audience decide and letting the audience guide you that now i would say that doing things the old way has is completely not just outdated but it would actually be you know it would turn people off i think it would almost make people feel like well who are these dinosaurs that are relying on these tvcs that are just one way communication and showing these very cliched scenes and not really being in touch with their customers. So you've created you've created this great segue to brands and personal brands. And that's what I really want to talk about. What is the Daisy personal brand? And have you created it intentionally? It's it's a funny one, right? Because I think throughout your career, you're always asked, what's your brand? Who are you? And things like that. And I think my brand is still in development. I think there are things I have that I hold up. So I will sit there and go, I am a mother. And the the way I'm a mother is that I am passionate and won't let anyone stand in the way of my children. You know, I will fight for them tooth or nail. And that's that's how I am as a mother. It's like, don't get in my way. And at work, I think there's a different side to me, which is much more empathetic. And I think actually being a mother helps has helped me mold that even more and lean into it. I think if I look back, one of the things I've always had is a good gut and a good intuition for, and I can be read people quite well. And I think I didn't really understand why I could potentially connect with all these different people in different ways and other people find found it harder. But over time, I think that's one of my superpowers. And I think that's one of the things that I've lent into more is not turning off those things, not, not listening to them, but listening more to them. Um, and I think if I think about my brand, it is that ability to be able to connect with anyone from any walk of wolf of life, you know, to be able to be empathetic and really listen to people, even if they're not talking, listen to their body language, what they're not saying to me as, as much as what they are. Um, and so I'd say for, as a leader, that's probably one of my biggest strengths and my power and um, superpower. Yeah. Hmm. That's very cool. So being able to really listen, and then would you say that um, a natural part B of that is adapting to the way that different people might be able to receive the message that you want to give out? Completely. And, you know, I think you learn what's resonating and what's not very quickly. And you also learn that, you know, too much information is not always a good thing. 
I think sometimes we go, right, we've got to update the agency and here's the 25 things we want to say. And actually, probably, you can probably get through one. By the second one, they're probably starting to get a bit distracted. Third one, they're going... So, you, you know, learning also how to hone what you're saying to the most pre- sort of pointed things as well is really, really key. But that adaptability, I think, is massive. And I think you need that as an agency leader because you need to be able to talk to a bank one day, a retail brand the next day, an FMCG brand the next day. But you also need to talk to people who are maybe going through different life stages in your own company and being able to empathize with them and put yourself in those shoes as well. Um, and, you know, not everyone will have come from the same background as me. And I need to be able to listen and adapt and learn, in effect, from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are two very interesting things that you're talking about. One is being concise and precise and not really overburdening people with all this knowledge that you have in your head. You can't just download and offload that onto people. And the second thing about actually changing the message when it's delivered so that you can deliver the same message, but in different ways to different people. And both of those things are so important when I'm coaching people. One of the first things we do is we always cut down the number of things they actually want to say in a presentation, in a talk, because they have this curse of knowledge, right? They they know so much and they know things very deeply. So they're already at step 10 of something, but but the people they're talking to are at step one or step two. And they feel like I I can do that. I can tell them step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. Why can't I do that? And like you said, then that's, that's where people get overwhelmed and you're actually doing the opposite. You're actually making them forget what it is that you want them to remember. So it's very counterintuitive. Completely. And I think the other flip side to that is because kind of, you know, you learn to adapt, adopt as you as you move sort of through your career and you start to know how to hone narratives better. One of the things that I've had to learn more of is letting go, right? So if I'm constantly controlling the narrative of others, then they'll never learn. So one of the big lessons I'm kind of, I've learned and now trying to make my next level down really learn is you don't need to control everything. I was like, it's okay to leave this team over here just to try and get on with it because that's how they'll learn, right? And if they won't be a team, they'll just be passengers if you don't give them that opportunity to try and do exactly what you were saying. It's like, make it tighter, make it shorter, like put yourself in an external person's point of view because they might never have heard of you. So you bamboozling them with science for 20 minutes is not going to be the thing that's going to win this. What's going to win this is being really, really pointed. Um, So yeah, that's a journey for me as well. If you think about the way that you speak, so we've talked about being adaptable and being flexible, and I, I can see how that's one of your superpowers. So if I ask you, what is consistent in the way that you speak? Is there something about the way that you've speak that you've also evolved over time that will always be consistent? Yeah. So I think one of the things for me was your stance and your body language in the room is super important and how you present yourself is super important. So I took a a lot of time to go before I walk into a room, it's the grounding, like what's pulling you through, what's rooting you in this room? What does that then do to your posture? How do you then want to present yourself? Like, is it more open? Like even doing it now, I'm like, oh my God, I'm slouching a bit. Like 
And and I think it's super important, your presence, not only just the delivery of what you're saying, but your body. And it's amazing by having a strong stance and sort of really grounding your body, what it can do to the way you deliver in the room. And I know one of the things I consciously have to do a lot is slow down because when I get excited, I'll go off. I'll be like, well, and you'll probably have heard it today. I'll go, because I'm really, really excited. Um, And that's infectious. That's great. But sometimes it can be a bit much. So again, sort of knowing how to pull it in. But I think that grounding of oneself is probably the first thing that I I really do, Um, because I think it's super important in terms of the delivery of what what I'm doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that you talked about something that didn't, that actually happens way before you start speaking, way before you open your mouth. You're creating this presence as you enter the room, as you walk across the stage, as you get to the, the head of the table with people looking at you as you're about to start the presentation. And that's the moment where, like you said, you're grounding yourself. And I, I feel like that's the moment when you're actually giving a signal to everyone to look at you and actually be pulled towards you because you're welcoming that. And you're saying, yeah, this is the time where I need your attention and I'm okay with it. And I'm actually going to use it to not just mine, but also your advantage, because I'm going to give you something that is going to help you. Completely. And I think the other thing it does really powerfully is it tricks my brain. So any nerves I might be feeling, it's telling my brain and my body, you're okay. So it helps me control the breathing. It helps me control everything. And sometimes, you know, I'll let you into a secret. Before I got the job at Vayner, I had my last interview and it would be one of the, all my interviews because of COVID had been like online. So it's the first time, not only am I back in the physical world, but I was meeting my future boss in person. And I was having one of those moments of going, what does she want to say? All of those kind of things. Am I going to be okay? Am I going to, ah? And I stood in a coffee shop in the bathroom loo before I went and met her. And I stood in the mirror and I did the warrior pose. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those where I was like, anyone who is, I was like, Daisy, you know, all the voice in your head. I was like, Daisy, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Oh my God, look at yourself. But it made me leave that bathroom with a sense of power because I'd laughed at myself, but I'd also gone, you've got this. I've had, I'd had a five minute talking to. So when I walked into that room, I felt much more calm. I felt ready to kind of approach and kind of show her I'm the leader. I can do this. And it worked. It worked. Thank God. Thank you. There you go. Everyone do the warrior pose in the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's really great. It's, it's great knowing how you can trick your brain. It's, it's kind of weird that we have to, but we really have to. And I think that's one of the, the stages of growing up, right? Where you realize your brain is not always your best friend, unfortunately. (laughs) A lot of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you have to really understand what it is that you can control and just get more, do more and more of that so that you can feel more and more in control. Do you remember the first time that you were speaking to, you know, either like a room full of senior board members or just like, do you remember the very first presentation that you made where you kind of felt like, wow, this is really high stakes. And how was that? Yeah. So for me, it probably would have been one in one of my early advertising companies. And I remember 
Clearly, it was a it was a very male dominated environment at that time. And I was pretty much token girl in the room. We need a girl in here. Yeah, she may be the most junior, but we need to look like, you know, we understand what's going on. And for me, it was with a very senior clients. It was all the men in the room. And I kind of was rushing around, making tea, doing everything, bit everywhere, but also having to be ready to present the creative and the slides and, you know, have a voice in the room. And I remember at that moment watching my male boss and he was doing the big opening and then he fluffed on a word and a sentence. But rather than get embarrassed or something, he goes, he literally stopped himself. He said, don't know where where those words have gone, made a thing of it, which bought him enough time to be able to come back into the room. And unconsciously, probably, it was one of probably my first lessons in terms of don't be scared. He's the most senior person in the room. He's he's fluffed it, but actually he's brought himself back in. He's been not got stumbly about it. He's actually been apologetic and found his way back in, bought himself time. So it almost gave me confidence to go, it's okay if the words aren't perfect. It's okay if this isn't there. It's a learning opportunity. And if all else fails, just apologize. Go, I need two seconds. That's the word. Come back in again. And so it was one of those kind of defining moments. But I think because I've been lucky or unlucky enough to see that in place, it it had helped me learn something ready for when I came on. And it was, you know, you had all of that. You had the teacup shaking. You were slightly nervous. I definitely hadn't learned to control my body at that time. But it's throwing yourself in there, giving yourself that opportunity. And I knew that every time it would be better. And in fact, I think if I think about sort of fast forward 10 years after that, I remember it had been a really busy time at work. And I was in the middle of um, there's a a period in my old company where we were going through a collective consultancy, a big restructure, redundancy process. At the same time, I was in Germany pitching to a client. And we had about half an hour before we went on, but I was kind of running the deck. I was doing this over there. So I probably, my my head wasn't in game mode. And I remember my MD at the time saying to me, Daisy, it's really important. You just stop everything right now. Be still, go lock yourself somewhere for half an hour and practice your first 30 seconds. What are you going to say that's going to win the room in the first 30 seconds? And I'm so appreciative to this day Because it's now something that no matter what is going on around me, blocking out the noise, taking myself somewhere else to go your first 30 seconds, how can you make an impact is something now as a technique I really, really use moving forward. Um, And it's, it's, it's a super powerful one. And it's one I talk to a lot about the people in my work around what's your first 30 seconds of impact. Think about that, practice it, and then the rest will flow. And that also gives you so much more self-confidence. So it's not just for the people. Of course it is because, you know, you want them to be engaged early on and they make their snap judgments, of course, in the first seven seconds or so. But it's about (laughs) you getting that reassurance that I got this because the first 30 seconds have gone smooth. The next 30 seconds will and the 30 seconds after that. And then it's all going to go well. So it really works. And I love this. Ritual. I actually, I call it the pregame ritual where I I do this and I advise everyone that I coach to do this as well, where you set aside time. 30 minutes is a lot, which is great. I love that. I, I usually ask people for five to seven minutes because I feel like it's very hard for them to just disengage. But I just tell them, you know, don't check your email. Don't try to just 
do all these other things, just stop and be by yourself. Don't even, because even in offline events, we have this temptation to just keep talking to people like pre-networking before you're going on stage. So extract yourself from that, just be by yourself and create a ritual that will lead in and lead up to that time when you're going to be speaking. It could be grabbing a favorite drink or getting a little bite of chocolate, or for some people is grabbing a smoke or whatever it is that you want to do, meditate. Some people sing or dance. Completely. You just reminded me when you were saying that, get a dance. There was, I did try, I tried lots of, over the years, you test lots of different things to go, what is your thing to get you in the right headspace? I do remember at one period of my life, it was literally putting on the Spice Girls, spice up your life and going, spice up your life. And like dancing an awesome like a mad woman. <laughs> it was like, it was so, but it threw me back like emotionally to 90s when you were fearless, when you were coming out of school and you were like, I can do anything. The world is mine for the taking. So I do think music is a really good one and it can be really, really powerful to take you to a happy place, a place of a different time as well. So we're talking about anthems and mantras. So I'm curious to know, do you have a kind of mantra for your life or something that you really believe in? Maybe a quote or something that really guides you or inspires you? I don't know whether it's a quote that's come from someone, but like, but the things that always run through my head I don't let life get in the way and I know that sounds weird but for me it's like sometimes I have days and I ever other people will feel where everything's piling up the mental load is at full capacity and it stops you from being able to concentrate so when I tell myself that what it kind of goes is nothing's too big or small or important to just live and like every day, I want to be able to tell myself what I've achieved in that day. Like if today was your last day, what have you achieved? So don't let life, the things around the side get in the way of basically living is the undertone. And it's like that to me is kind of super, super important. Like nothing is too big that it can't be solved. If people, if I feel people in my team are feeling that something is really overpowering them and it's not making them happy... I want to be there. I want to help them solve it. I want to help them see, get through it. So, um, and I think that's true of the world today. World is full of so much negative noise, but actually we've got to find those positives and we've got to find a way together to work through it. So don't let life get in the way. Like just Mm. get on with it, basically live. I love that optimism. There's, (laughs) There's so much optimism and hope in there. That's really refreshing to hear. Because it is, it's hard not letting life get you down, especially as you get older and you get more responsibility in life, you get burdened and you feel weighed down by so many things, so many demands on your time and so many fires you have to put out, so many problems you have to fix. So feeling and holding on to that feeling of optimism during that time, that sounds really interesting, very inspiring. Yeah, somebody said once said to me, and I think it was a boss who's like, and I, it was before a pitch and it was, no one's going to die as a result of this. And you kind of, when you, somebody tells you that you kind of, it puts everything into perspective. Somebody might not buy that bag of tea, but nobody's going to die. Right. And that's kind of, you know, we're fortunate that we're, I'm not in the world of brain surgeon saving lives. I, you know, I can only imagine the pressure with that. And so kind of, I think, again, if you remember that in marketing, it's, 
it's a career. It's an amazing career. We're so lucky because we get to do so much and see so much, but it's not something that people should live or die for. Yeah. And I love that you have these words that someone said maybe in a moment and they have no idea that you're actually carrying them with you. And that really is the power of speaking with intention and making sure that what you say is true to your own values, because then you don't know who might be listening, getting inspired and storing those words in their brain for however many months or years to come. And it means you have to be more considered with your words with people because words can have both a positive and a negative effect. And I don't want people to leave a conversation or a day with me feeling negative. I want them to feel built up. And so if I ever leave someone feeling negative, I will very much, it's never my intent, but I would double down on that very quickly. It's interesting and kind of bittersweet that sometimes it is those rude wake-up calls that you get, especially as a young leader, because that's really what I went through um, when I I started uh, my own company that was a video production company and we had a very small team. And what we were doing was all these really, really challenging campaigns on these very, very short timelines. And of course, everyone was stressed and I was the most stressed, which I realized later on was the most terrible thing I could do because the boss is the one who sets the tone for the whole team. It's super hard. And in those moments, you know, we all have those moments, but there's the mask and, you know, my, my eldest son's actually autistic. And so we talk a lot around masking and an autistic child will often mask in a situation. And I do think Mm. as a boss, you have to mask more often than not, Mm. but you need to let that for that as well. You need to know who your core people are around you, who you can still be yourself, who you can go to and have those kind of conversations to let it out because otherwise it will bubble up as negativity. Um, so I think that whilst you have to be, we often talk about the swan, the swan glides on the surface, but the feet mm-hmm. underneath are going like this. You have to be <laughs> gliding along the surface. Um, and I think that is a really It's something you only learn over time, but it is so important when you're leading a team to try and hide as much of that as possible because it sets the tone and fear drives fear, unfortunately. And I love that we're talking about this because a lot of times when I talk to people about hiding certain parts of yourself or selectively showing certain parts of yourself, which is more what I focus on, but of course that automatically means you're hiding some parts. The first pushback I get is, oh, but Nasheen, I'm just me. I'm just, I just want to be authentic. This is just me. This is just how I am. And it's usually the ones who are poor communicators or who are sometimes misunderstood as being way too direct or way too blunt. It's usually them. It's usually those people that feel that they have this need to be authentic. And it's hard to argue against that. But creating, intentionally creating this this mask that I just feel like the word mask even is like, it has these negative connotations, right? And we're talking about it in a positive sense, but it's, it's, it, it's just hard to, to get away from that. But, you know, creating this, this brand essentially, which will filter out the stress or the anger that you might be feeling. And then, you know, stop that from getting out there so that your team then sees this calm demeanor and okay, so bad stuff happened. 
what can we do now to turn the bad stuff into good stuff? Completely. And I think that, you know, that element we were discussing earlier, optimism, it's such an important word in that, um, because I think that rather than dwell on what's happened, because that's taking you back to a place of trauma, potentially, and your brain, if you take someone back to a sense of trauma, then they're straight away in fright or flight, they are still in attack mode. But if you can do the what's, what can we do now? Let's forget what's happened. Let's all together go, how do we solve this? How do we resolve this? It stops people dwelling in the past and it takes them into a new space in their brain. And I think that optimistic view you were talking about is super important in that. Um, and it's the same with when, you know, there are moments where something might not be right or somebody's coming across really aggressively and that's just not our culture here. But rather than go, I'm going to hit fire with fire, I go, well, there must be something driving that. Why aren't they feeling okay? And it, the minute you kind of flip to that space, it gives you a much better understanding and a way to connect, to potentially understand that maybe they're not okay or maybe they're struggling with something. And that's why you're getting this aggressive defensive person in front of you. Um, so again, always seeing the good or the optimistic or not reading things at face value is super important. And it's great that you bring that up because sometimes people feel, again, I, I want to say it's more inexperienced leaders that feel that they can't be that soft. They can't be that understanding. Oh, if I'm this understanding with every single employee's personal problems, then they're just going to walk all over me. And that's not what a leader does. So it's really now I'm hoping we're changing that narrative and making it okay to care about people and making it okay to understand that people will not take advantage of you. If you care about them, they're going to care about you. They're not going to take it for granted or just exploit the company or exploit you as a boss. I'm so glad you said that because I think there have been moments through my career where I haven't felt I could be this honest as I am here now, you know? Um, and because I felt exactly what you're saying there is like, will they use it against me that I'm really struggling with sleep because my child hasn't slept for four weeks? Uh, does that mean I'm not going to get the promotion? If I say to her that maybe I'm not feeling well, is she going to take that against me? Um, and I think to, to get to the place we are now is so important because that is almost the opposite that, uh, to what I want anyone to feel. I think you can be yourself. I think you can bring yourself to work. I think we have to help people know what parts of them to bring out when and what's appropriate, because there are some things where the behavior in a formal work space probably isn't the best way to present yourself, but that doesn't mean it's not being you. It means around knowing how to, back to our thing at the beginning, adapt that behavior. But I very much, you know, here, I hope no one ever kind of lives in that fear that they can't tell me what's going on. Um, and I think that that empathetic and candorous environment we try to breed here at Baina is super, super important uh, to knowing that people can just be themselves and bring as much or as little of themselves as they want to, because it's a personal choice, right? Some people might not want to be completely open and we don't need to force everyone to be open as well. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. That's that's the other the other side of it, the other extreme end where someone who doesn't feel comfortable doing that doesn't feel comfortable talking about their personal life is made to do that and that's equally uncomfortable so i definitely want to make sure that we talk about women because that is something yep. very close to your heart also very close to my heart and 
I was just really intrigued by the work that you're doing at Chief and how did you start it? What is the idea? What is it that you're hoping to achieve? So yeah, I would love to know more about that. So Chief was started in the US a couple of years ago. And I think the idea was, and I think we've, a lot of us have been through the industry. And I think um, coming into the industry when I first came in, it was definitely a very male dominated industry. And I don't think that's a unique challenge in lots of industries. I think actually the media and creative industries is getting better balanced. I do think, you know, we've got a long way to go with other big industries like manufacturing and those more corporate environments to kind of help readdress that balance. Um, I don't, you know, I'm speaking from someone in the Western world. I know the challenges are different as well throughout the world uh, when it comes to these industries. But I've always joined organizations that have a core belief in kind of better with balance and addressing the male-female divide. And I think for many, many years, that was the a, a previous agency I, I was at. We had a whole program called Better With Balance, exactly designed to address, address gender equality in the workplace. And that also, that didn't just mean that we were banging the drum for female leaders. It meant that we were also re-educating some of our male leaders to make sure that they understood the nuances and the psychology of women better and why they might not be feeling okay. And, you know, why they might not feel that they have a voice in a room where their voice is being not heard, but the man who says this exactly the same thing next to them is being oh, applauded, you know? Um, and it was a it was a fight for many years. So when Chief came about and it said it was opening in London, I was like, this is exactly where I want to be because there's a group of amazing female leaders out there. They're all going through different challenges. And, you know, last week, actually, we had our first core meeting there. And a core meeting is where you're, um, you get to be with a group of other like-minded women. They, you might work in similar industries, but some of you work in different industries, which I love because it's amazing to hear the stories of how we're all probably coming from different walks of life, but there are some core, core common threads coming through in terms of things like imposter syndrome, the gremlins that sit on your shoulder and tell you you're not good enough, all of those kind of things that we all have felt at some point in our career. But more importantly, it's a group of women who you can go to confidentially to navigate some of the challenges that might be happening. Some of the more toxic behavior that might still exist in pockets and how you kind of can have those candid conversations with confidence and not feel like you're going to be discriminated at against for having those conversations. So Chief is incredible network. You know, it's at the beginning of its journey here now in Europe. I think to see the potential and where it can go, it says a lot that so many amazing founding women in industry are already involved, that you've got access to the likes of Amal Clooney and all of those amazing female voices out there. But what is even more incredible is seeing that we've all been slightly through the same career. And the sad thing that I heard very clearly in some of our past groups was actually for a lot of women, it wasn't the men that were getting in you know, their way to the top. Often it was other women. And I do think there is a bit of a, there's work obviously to do around making sure that women don't see other women as a threat or competitors, but that we're actually here to help each other no matter where we want to go in life. Mm -hmm. And that idea of women perceiving other women as threats is 
It's terrible. And it's something that we've actually, I feel like we've been talking about in bits and pieces for maybe the last two decades, if not longer. It's it's thoughts that have come up over time and yet it still happens. I think it's because of seeing the world from a male point of view and how women have to vie for male attention. And then of course, then you have to see the other woman as as competition because she's going to win that man or she's going to win over that boss or she's going to you know, steal something from you. And it's just, it's, it's mind boggling. It's, it's true. And it's, it's, it's really, it's, I see it in action all the time and women kind of upholding these outdated beliefs that are holding other women back. I see it in Asia a lot. And I think it's, it's also in other parts of the world. Oh, definitely. And it, it, I think that was eye-opening because I kind of almost didn't want to say it in this, in this, even though it was a room of trust, I felt like pulling out and going, you know, we're a chief. It's a group of amazing women and being able to stand there and go, actually, it's other women who've let me down in my career. Felt like quite a negative thing to say in a space full of amazing women. But then the more one of us said it, then another, then another, you're going, there is something wrong here that we also need to readdress. Um, so I think to get it better to a world of balance, we need to look at not only both the men, but also the women and how we can better support each other, which I think is at the heart of kind of that chief mentality coming through. Mm. Creating that network is so rewarding because when I was younger, very naively, I thought, oh, I can just go to HR with problems or, oh, I can just go to my boss with problems. But when the problems actually happened, those were not the people I wanted to talk to because I felt like those were the people that were going to be judging me. They're going to be the ones asking these questions that I didn't know how to answer. They were the ones putting me on the spot. So very often it's the people that are in your company that are the hardest to, to talk to and communicate with in times of stress and when you have crises happening. And I think, you know, the one thing I think is very different for us at Vayner is we have this amazing woman called Claude Silver, and she is our head of heart, right? She's chief heart officer. And I think that having somebody at a very senior point in the company who oversees the well-being of everyone across not only VaynerMedia, but VaynerX, our holding company, and looks after everyone, just having that up there goes, I know what kind of company I'm working for. It's not HR, which is just there to push paper. It's a proper company founded on human-centric values. And I think that has been a big difference for me. And I'm hoping that, you know, with that kind of thing, we we never let a world where a woman's holding you back, a man's holding you back, anyone's holding you back. And that actually we're letting you thrive is going to be, is, is super important. I love that you have that feeling of, I am in the right place. And this is the company that I need to be and want to be working for because you have these systems in place and these people that are making that happen. And that's so essential. So that's really great to know. It's it's amazing. And I think it's, you know, Chief was amazing part of my career, but I don't think I would have got to Chief or found it as compelling if I hadn't also been lucky enough to go through something called Shine for Women, uh, like previously in my career. And that, again, was almost my journey in terms of they, a group of women who really understand women, really understand, you know, all that imposter syndrome, the gremlins, everything I spoke about, and gave me some early tools to be able to help talk to myself and talk myself down and talk myself up when I need to, you know, all of those kind of things. 
Um, so I think it's been a journey, but I definitely think there's a lot more of that kind of stuff that needs to be openly available, whether it comes through part of the company you're working for or is just more accessible regardless of whether you're in a small, you know, private network, but actually how do we do more of this for everyone? Creating that self-narrative is so transformative. It's, it's definitely not something that comes naturally. It goes back to what we were talking about, those voices in our heads that are not always our friends. And I think a lot of us find it the hard way. We we have to stumble through lots and lots of years of negative feedback and negative voices and negative self-narratives and then stumble our way to something hopefully by some point where we can create those positive self-narratives. So anything that can help us get there faster, that can help other women, other young women get there faster, it's totally worth it. So sounds like a, a great initiative. Thank you for telling me a little more about that. So thank you so much, Daisy, for this really interesting conversation. I loved hearing about your journey and I loved getting a little peek inside that optimistic brain. Thank you so much for sharing your interesting stories with such generosity and honesty with us. And I'm pretty sure everyone has had a really interesting time and nice time hearing about it. So thank you so much. It's been amazing. And thank you so much for having me and starting my day in a really kind of empowered way. Awesome. Thank you, Daisy. That's the end of the episode, but you and I can keep talking. If you have a lot of expertise and deep knowledge, but you're not sharing it, you're not setting yourself up for growth. I teach you how to be your most impactful self on camera or on stage, so you can open doors for your business through building your personal brand. Find out how at www.speakasaleader.com. That's speakasaleader.com. And if you liked listening to this episode, I would really appreciate it if you could rate us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform that you're listening on so that more people can discover us. See you in the next episode. Till then, speak fearlessly. Fearlessly.